This year's BRICS Summit being held in South Africa champions the theme Partnership for Mutually Accelerated Growth, Sustainable Development, and Inclusive Multilateralism. One of the topics for serious discussion is to expand the bloc and allow in new members like Iran and Saudi Arabia. After the passage of two days out of the three days of the conference, one thing was crystal clear, de-dollarization. The use of local currencies and bilateral trade was encouraged even further with plans for the replacement of the Western-based SWIFT financial system. These are just some of the angles we'll be looking at in this edition of the Spotlight. These are the guests. Matthew Everett is Senior Fellow at the American University of Moscow, joining us from Montreal. Also joining us, John Busnich, journalist, activist, and political analyst who joins us from Belgrade. Welcome to you both. Uh, Matthew Everett, I'll start with you. It wasn't too long ago when you take a look at uh, BRICS and the way it was covered online or otherwise that uh, really wasn't even given that much weight, not that much importance. And I'm not talking about uh, that long ago. But now we're looking at the scope of it in terms of uh, the global population, 40% um, GDP uh, of the global economy, 25%. Uh, put that into perspective for us, especially when we take a look at how BRICS actually, over, actually overtook the G7 recently, um, and that obviously was a big milestone in terms of the importance that it should be given. Yes, absolutely. It wasn't that long ago, as you said, that it was seen as a rather negligible component of the world system. And today, uh, it is embarrassing some of the geostrategists of the West who thought of themselves as heirs of the unipolar world order that, uh, as you just pointed out, the population not only is, is 40%, but uh, but the GDP of the combined five BRICS nations is uh, has now outpaced the G7. And this is going to only increase as we see that the very concept and paradigm of economic uh, planning, the, the idea of self-interest and how economic systems play into the need for creating peaceful corridors of cooperation diplomacy is, uh, is going to create much more qualitative real wealth as we have already seen. And I think the role of China as having the economic muscle to build and issue the long-term credit, five to 20-year credit in some cases, for real uh, industrial corridors, connectivity. Um, this is all very vital at introducing a healthier concept of economic profit, of the idea of what the role of the sovereign nation-state is, not just, not just as a secondary feature to a, a private financier oligarchy, which is how things have been run now for too long in the West, but rather as an organizing force of world policy as the UN Charter attests that it must be in the original founding documents of the UN. So I think, yeah, it, it, this is making nightmares for certain geopolitical unipolarists. All right. Uh, well, the nightmares that is created um, is probably going to be uh, something that is not uh, going to, uh, as our guest mentioned there, John Boston, is going to get any better for the ones who are looking and uh, are uh, watching this unfold. Um, but, John Buster, give us your idea as to why it seems like uh, in the past year or so uh, the interest and the eagerness uh, for countries to join this bloc has accelerated uh, so many times over. I mean, we're looking at the latest that we have, which is about 40 countries that want to join this bloc. What do you think happened? Well, I think that the the world geopolitical situation has really brought people to wake up. We've got a, a, a major war going on in Ukraine, which is a byproduct of the old uh, G7 um, Western Anglo-American imperial system. It's a direct consequence of that system. And the whole world sees the potential of a 
of a, of a real nuclear World War III. And as they see these dangers, which are the natural byproduct of the previous economic order, they look for something new. And the something new that they're being offered by China, by Russia, by India, by Brazil, by the major productive economies of the world, because most of the Western economies have become service-oriented economies, except for the military-industrial system. But these new producing economies are putting people to work, are using resources of their own, and producing goods that people need, not that empires need. And this has changed the entire geopolitical picture of how countries interact. And when you add to that the, the fact that the U.S. dollar is printed by an organization that is not even a governmental body. The Federal Reserve is a private institution of private bankers. When you realize that they are printing out what I call toilet paper day after day without any gold backing, without any resource backing, and forcing countries around the world to use that as the collateral for trade, we know the system is done. The currency is of no value. The system is of no value, and it was inherently biased in favor of the colonial and post-colonial powers. Okay, uh, the dollar came into the picture. Obviously, we have to follow through with uh, that, uh, Matthew. I read. There's many dimensions when it comes to the dollar itself. Um, tell us, uh, first of all, uh, the one aspect, and that is the weaponization of the dollar, a term that we hear, uh, how that actually is one of the factors why uh, many countries want to join the BRICS grouping. Uh, what examples can you give us, if you can, about uh, the dollar weaponization and which countries used it in, in, as such? Yeah, th this is one of the, uh, the major underappreciated components of economic warfare that has been used by the Anglo-American uh, hegemons for the past 80 years, especially since World War II, which is that, you know, the... the entire basis of global trade uh, has been wired to be settled by U.S. dollars, so every nation has to have reserves of U.S. dollars to settle their balance of payments and other trade deals with their with neighboring countries, which on the surface, if all things were, were equal and there were no intentional empires out there to subvert and destroy the, the developmental aspirations of nations, uh, then that might be seen as a fine thing. The problem is the U.S., especially since the murder of John F. Kennedy and his brother, has been co-opted and, and uh, dominated by this other supranational financier, what some might call the deep state, um, which has been utilizing the power structures of the United States uh, from the standpoint of the banking structures, the Federal Reserve being one aspect of that, the military-industrial component, and, and many other dimensions as a uh, machine or a tool to smash small countries into submission to a set of rules that would be tied to um, a, you know, essentially um, a unipolar way of doing things. Uh, one, you know, one uh, small unelected body uh, determines the rules for everybody else. And uh, and that is something which has run roughshod over the world. And again, if any nation that sanctions do more damage than many bombs do in terms of withholding and destroying a nation's ability to supply food for people to feed their children and so many other things. Um, there's over 30 countries that I know of directly who are currently under U.S. sanctions in varying degrees, Iran just being one of the most drastic, but there's many others. And on top of that, the U.S. dollar has also been wi wired, especially since the 70s, to speculation and speculating like people like George Soros 
and these other uh, privateers of globalization who have been deployed as mercenaries to use the the cover of wanting to make money with speculating on currencies as a cover to actually destroying nations like Malaysia or any nation that would otherwise try to resist the edicts of the World Trade Organization that demands global free trade, meaning the stripping of nations of their right to use protectionism, capital controls, other things that a truly sovereign nation state must utilize to defend its people from the rapaciousness of an empire. So this is the sort of thing that has been used as well with the sanctions on an economic warfare uh, aspect. There's other aspects, but I think those two are strike my mind as the most important at the moment. John Bussner, so um, some of the points that I gathered there from our, from our guests, um, I think one of them is sanctions and the other uh, that I want to propose here um, is uh, when it comes to countries that are watching how uh, the U.S. and its European allies actually, through the use of sanctions, went ahead and uh, took over their reserves. And I think one of the pivotal points here was when uh, Russia's uh, $600 billion dollars uh, and assets was overtaken in the tune of three and a two and a half billion dollars, I believe, in reserves, um, which was comprised of uh, their their dollar denomination. Countries watching that are saying, "Wait a minute! If we don't follow U.S. foreign policy, then our reserves are going to be overtaken." I think that's one of the things why so many countries, maybe, and I don't know, uh, your opinion matters, are saying, "Well, you know, we're not. We don't. We don't need to always have to bow down to U.S. directives." Because if we don't, then they're going to take over our, our money and our reserves. Uh, and oh, we're seeing, we're seeing, are we seeing that um, take place in a rather accelerated pace? Because uh, so many are actually uh, transforming or converting their reserves either into gold or other currencies other than the dollar. Let's, let's jump back a little bit in history here. The Anglo-American empire is a product of the Anglo Empire. The Anglo Empire was the pirate fleet that used to go around the entire world by day with the, with the Union Jack and by night with the Jolly Roger. These people have used their empire to rape, steal, and plunder the planet. So when World War II ended, a lot of people thought we were at peace. But actually what began at the end of World War II was a third stage of economic warfare, the economic takeover without guns, without bombs of the rest of the world. It, and in stages, the banksters abandoned Germany and moved their money to England. That was the end of Germany in World War One. The minute the banksters left, they had no money to provide weapons for their army to pay their soldiers. Germany collapsed. At the end of World War Two, after England was basically depleted by the war in Europe, the banksters jumped again. They jumped to New York, and New York became their base. This is like these mollusks that you see at the beach that change their shell. They put a new shell over top, and now they pretend to be another place. What's happening now? What's happening today? The banksters are moving their capital to Shanghai. They're trying to get their foot in the door in the new economic powerhouse, and thank good. Chinese know what's up and who's who, and they're going to stop them from dominating the new system. That's what we're talking about. And who wants to buy a goat 
in Uzbekistan from a man in Kyrgyz does not have to go to New York to get a U.S. dollar to buy that goat. They have their two currencies. They're bordering. They can trade in whichever manner they choose. America's domination by forcing everybody to use their worthless, and I say worthless, currency because it is backed by nothing. There's no gold standard, there's no silver standard, and there is no refund for the U.S. dollar. Their system is over, and people, because of their avarice, because of the greed of America, have finally said, we've got to put the bell on this cat. The mice of the world have decided they're going to bell the cat, and the cat is the U.S. dollar. And once the U.S. dollar is no longer the currency for all world economic trade, the United States is finished as an empire and as a hegemon around the planet. And I have to say I agree with every word that your other guest has said here tonight. He's exactly on the mark. Excellent. Um, well, let's take a look at what uh, our guest there has said from Belgrade. Uh, here, um, if we want to take a look at just the mere uh, use of the dollar, uh, we know that uh, many countries, again, uh, at a very fast pace, are uh, exchanging in their or doing trade in their national currencies, um, and that obviously decreases the amount of dollar that's being used. Now, whether that's going to then be offset later on, you know, we have to take a look at the math there. But what's for certain is that. Countries are doing that because they want to stay away from the dollar in terms of, let's say, sanctions, in terms of the reach of the U.S. arm, for example. But you need to have a financial infrastructure in place, such as a financial payment system. SWIFT is Western-based in a sense. Uh, there needs to be a replacement, which they're working towards. We know that Iran, Russia, and um, also China have their own payment systems. Can, can, can the infrastructure get, uh, be put in place uh, so that uh, you know, this can actually happen? Uh, how far are we from reaching that point, if you can take a guess there, um, Matthew? Yeah. Yes, certainly. Uh, it is a, a complicated process. I mean, a lot of people would like to see this moving a lot faster, and I think the general orientation is ultimately towards a BRICS currency, although it will require some jumping through hoops and creating, as you pointed out, the necessary infrastructure. There is the African Union and, and major continental African free trade zone, which uh, is con being consolidated as we speak, um, which does offer a, an ability now for the colonized or the, the nations that have suffered so much abuse of Africa to begin to really build up a coherence of ability with their own payment uh, transaction payment system, which will soon be worth it as the goal of the United Nations or the, the, the African Union is to achieve a $3 trillion trade amongst African countries uh, goal within a very short period of time. And this gives it also an ability to sign free trade agreements with China, with the Eurasian Economic Union, um, that, as you pointed out as well, all, already have their settlement systems outside of SWIFT. Um, these are all good things. Putin, in his address um, to the South African summit, um, made the clear point that the U U.S. dollars are now only used amongst the BRICS nations, the, the big five, uh, in 28% of the transactions, the, the rest are all local currencies, what are otherwise known as the five R's, the, uh, the rupee, the rupal, the renminbi, the real, and the, uh, the, the there's one I'm forgetting. But uh, you already have a, a great move towards de-dollarization. China has released, I mean, they're now, I think their U.S. dollar debt holdings are about $850 billion, whereas they were $1.3 just a couple of years earlier. And, uh, and the 
the settlement uh, that is now, like I said, only 27 or 28% of the uh, the trade amongst the BRICS nations, it used to be 100% U.S. dollars a decade ago. So we, we definitely have infrastructure being put in place to facilitate the leap. And I think it's not going to be a slow, gradual trans transition, but it will be punctuated by systemic breakdown moments. And we are going through a new phase, I think, of the transatlantic banking bubble breakdown. Um, the reference to U.S. dollars as toilet paper or monopoly money, as the previous guest had made the point, I think is a good parallel. It is exactly that. It is even less valuable than toilet, pa toilet paper at least has value. Um, and, and I think we're going to see an emergency conference very soon, maybe two emergency conferences, one with the Davos crowd, which has their idea of how the world should be run with digital, digital currencies that are tied to the depopulation of the world the world citizenry, or e the eating of bugs, 15-minute cities, and more control for an oligarchy, whereas we have, I think, the emerging other emergency conference around the multipolar agenda, which sees the creation of abundance, not scarcity, as the primary vector for what they wish value to be tied to, which is much healthier and much more in our national self-interest as na captured nations of the West are concerned. All right. You know, I can't uh, help but uh, pose this question in the form that I am, which I will go ahead and do it, John Bosnich. But is it getting down to the point where the U.S., in reaction to what's happening, is saying you're either with us, well, that's George Bush's uh, uh, junior's line, but basically saying you're either with us or you're going to go with them because we're looking at restrictions that the U.S. is placing on countries when it comes to certain items. Uh, the most popular ones, I think, Huawei, ZTE Technologies, the use of chips and semiconductors were the restrictions that are being placed on countries by the U.S. This may expand to other products also. Uh, I, I'm sure it has at this point. Isn't that, however, one way of countries uh, somewhat decoupling from the U.S.? This is a, a classic example of the drowning man flailing about to try to stay afloat. America is going to impose hardcore sanctions on the key players in the new free economic sphere. They will try to crush them. They will not be able to do so. These countries will become ever more resilient, ever more uh, self-sufficient, and ever more tightly connected to each other to survive. They will easily survive because they represent the majority of the world population. They represent the bigger part of the economic power of this planet. And once again, I said in a, a recent interview, when we take out the military-industrial complex, where the American banksters put their money into incredibly overpriced weapons to make a 40x profit on money in, $1 in, $40 out, once we take that out of the equation, the American economy is already smaller than that of China alone. Add to that all of the other future BRICS members and current BRICS members, and America is done. America is going to have to plead to do trade with these countries, and it will not get a friendly hearing unless it stops its warfare, unless it stops the American proxy war in Ukraine, unless it stops doing things like bombing and occupying, occupying northeastern Syria till today, right. unless it stops provoking war as a business. You had the um, African summit that took place uh, recently, Matthew, in uh, Moscow. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, in St. Petersburg. Um, one of the things that came out of that was the focus that was 
uh, on uh, how uh, these African countries want to join BRICS. 19 was mentioned at that point. And uh, there, one of the, mm, the statements coming out of that was that uh, a newly minted middle class will drive consumer demand in the new future. When you have so many African countries applying for BRICS membership because they want a complete new economic uh, order, are, are, are we looking at uh, them being one of the what's called a new world order with so many now focusing on Africa out of the major economies like from China, uh, India, of course, and uh, South Africa, of course, is, is an African country itself. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think of this as sort of the new new world order that was not anticipated by the unipolarists who were celebrating back in 1992 that they won the world and everything was now just a matter of pulling the, pulling together the loose ends to achieve the end of history. Which, as Zbigniew Brzezinski even pointed out in, the, in 1997, I believe, in his grand chessboard, that the only really major possibility um, that could threaten the finalization of this original unipolar world order would be the unlikely convergence uh, of China, Russia, and Iran as civilizational states, which together individually would not have the power or strength to do, to do battle against the interests of the London Wall Street um, command center, but together could represent a force that could derail this great game, which um, I don't think that when Biden was uh, humoring this back in 1998, he gave a speech uh, poo-pooing the possibility that this could ever happen. Um, I think that Zbigniew is now rolling in his grave because here it is, it is happening, and it is happening in a much more powerful way than I think he even realized, since it is not just these big three, but as you pointed out, many African countries are now seeing finally a new game in town that has ability to provide a sphere of stability, stabilization, um, both in terms of military deals with Russia and China that are trying to strengthen the sovereign viability of African nations that have been so exploited, but also to provide nuclear power, the right for the nations to utilize the fossil fuels and other resources under their soil, as well as create industrial corridors, rail lines, which, you know, there's nine different rail lines uh, that the Africa Union Agenda 2063 has endorsed. And Africa is going to be the driving force of progress and development in the world, especially by 2050, when I think what's well over um, half of the population there is going to be under the age of 30. That's an incredible amount of youth resources and potential genius, especially if you give people the stability, the hope for the future, uh-huh. and the cooperation um, to make it happen, which China and Russia are both doing. And, you know, last thing I would just say to that, um, there are thir- 30 African nations were there for the BRICS summit in South Africa now. Um, the BRICS have about $420 billion of trade cumulatively with African nations, far, far outpacing by an order of magnitude, the G7. And uh, there were 47 or 48 African or African representatives at the St. Petersburg summit, despite the efforts to intimidate these countries from uh, presenting themselves in Russia, where Putin has a, an arrest warrant on his head by the ICC. But these African nations don't, they've, they've seen enough abuse that they know how this game is played and they don't buy into it. So I think uh, this is all very hopeful. All right. I wish we had more time to discuss this, uh, but thank you very much. Uh, Matthew Everett there, Senior Fellow of the American University of Moscow. John Bosnich, thank you. Journalist, thank activist, you. and political analyst from Belgrade. With that, we come to an end for this edition of the program. Thanks for joining us.